Welcome to the Dark Side of the Full Moon podcast. I'm Jennifer Silliman, and this show is continuing the conversations started in the award-winning first-ever documentary film about maternal mental health. My journey as an advocate began through the power of storytelling. With this podcast, I hope to create a community of women and professionals sharing their own powerful narratives to let others know they're not alone and help is out there. Keep in mind that some of the stories you will hear may be triggering, but it's important they be told. This podcast is not a replacement for professional help from a licensed medical provider. If you or someone you know is suffering due to a maternal mental health condition, please contact your medical provider or call or text message the Postpartum Support International Helpline at 1-800-944-4773. Now let's continue the conversation. Hi there, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Dark Side of the Full Moon podcast. I'm here today with Dr. Michelle Wierskala. She is a reproductive psychiatrist and psychopharm consultant. So she attended the uh, she attended college and medical school at the University of Wisconsin, and she did her psychiatry residency at the Harvard Longwood program. Welcome, Michelle, to the podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here. Yeah, so I'm so excited because I have not had anyone on who is specifically going to be talking about medication to treat perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. And it's such a hot topic, um, in this field, um, for so many reasons. I know the women that I used to come in contact with, um, and still come, come in contact with at my support groups, um, were so against being treated with medication because of the side effects and, and all of those things. So I'm just curious to know, I guess, first, um, what has, what has changed, um, as far as pharmaceuticals go? I know that they've come a long way as far as being able to know what's dangerous, what's not dangerous, and, and really how to educate parents. So if you could just share maybe a little bit of that. Yeah, definitely. I, I think what's changed the most is the nature of the data and the research that we have about medications, both in pregnancy and in breastfeeding, um, so that we know so much more than we did a generation ago or even 20 years ago. And it turns out that antidepressants in particular which is a bit of a shorthand. So we use antidepressants to treat depression and anxiety, but I'll say antidepressants and that's what I mean is that whole umbrella class. Um, antidepressants in particular are some of the best studied medications in pregnancy. So we have tons of data and the good news is a lot of it is really reassuring, but what's out there, it's, it's a large volume. It's many, many, many exposures um, that can give us really good insight into what are the risks specifically what is the degree of risk? Like how much does the chance of this negative outcome increase if you take the medicine in pregnancy or breastfeeding? Um, and so it just really gives us better guidance for how to prescribe for people who are pregnant or breastfeeding. Do you think that there's been an increase in the amount of moms that are willing to, to use that as a treatment? I think that I've seen that over the course of my work in this field. And I started doing um, perinatal psychiatry like 2008 or so. I had a wonderful mentor at work who kind of brought me into the fold of doing this and working with this population of people. Um, and yeah, I've definitely seen that people have become more and more comfortable with it. And I think that's thanks in part to the word is getting out in the media 
um, in great documentaries about the topic. You know, there's celebrities talking about it. I know in your documentary, you had that little clip of Brooke Shields talking about it. And I think that helps a ton because it, it, it normalizes it. You know, it, it is a common experience. We know that. We know that, you know, 17-ish percent of new moms have postpartum depression, something like 20 to 25 percent have postpartum anxiety. So it's, it's so common and it's so out there. And I think if we are more comfortable talking about it and just saying, yeah, this is a thing I struggled with, um, as comfortable as we can be with gestational diabetes or hypertension, high blood pressure in pregnancy, um, that people just get more comfortable and they feel less afraid about oh my gosh, what are the implications of this? Does this mean I'm crazy? Does this mean I'm out of control? Does this mean I have to stop breastfeeding? Does it mean I'm going to have my kids taken away by child protective services? And all these sort of worst case scenarios that come up that I think we're, as a, as a society, getting a better handle on what are the results of this. Yeah, definitely. And it, it's, it's so interesting to me when I would run my support groups and, and, and I would share my piece. So I, I didn't breastfeed, um, but I went on medication fairly soon after having my intrusive thoughts, which I share in the film. Um, and I remember this story just, it gets me every time I was running a support group for moms. And this was actually before I met Maureen to do the film. Yeah. I just started running support groups at my local library. And this mom was sitting there and I was, I was sharing my story and how I had to go on medication and that my psychiatrist at the time, who is like my lifesaver, um, went over with me, all of the side effects. She just knew I was going to Google it when I got home. Uh -huh. Like she just yeah. sensed that for me. She's <laughs> like, okay, you're going to go home and you're going to Google this. And you're going to see that it's for people with schizophrenia and it's for people who are bipolar and it's for people, you know, you know, so on and so forth. Um, she goes, you aren't any of those things, but what is happening is that, you know, something is misfiring in your brain and we, this medication is going to help that. Um, and she was so right because had I gone on and Googled all those things, I might not have taken it. Yeah. And this is what was going on with the mom in my support group. She was actually uh -huh. prescribed the exact same medication, Respiradol. Mm -hmm. um, and I, and someone had asked me what medication I was on and I used to not share it. And then I, I was like, you know, I'm just going to tell you it's, it's Respiradol and this is, you know, it's an antipsychotic and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And the girl stopped me in the parking lot. And she said, I just have to tell you that I have a script for Respiradol in my purse right now from my doctor. <laughs> he gave it to me two weeks ago and I did not get it filled because I read about it online and was like, I'm not yeah. any of those things. There's no way I'm taking it. And she immediately went to Walgreens and got it filled from our support group <laughs> and got so, it got so much better in a, in a few days. So one, I just love the power of storytelling, but that particular story, just that hesitancy of taking something that's prescribed by you, especially if you go home and Google it, or even if your doctor doesn't really take the time to explain what it's going to do. 
And I think that's a huge disservice to moms, not telling them, Hey, here's what's going on. I mean, it's very different than I have a cold and I need an antibiotic here and you'll get better in a couple of days. And I want to talk about that too, because that, (laughs) that's been like a huge thing, right. For moms who are like, Oh, I'm better. I'm just not going to take it anymore. And yeah, you know, wrapping your head around being mental health, being a much different thing to treat than a cold that you take antibiotics for. Yes. Yeah, definitely. And that's something that we talk about a lot. Um, when we're prescribing is, you know, how long do you have to take this medicine? And is this forever? I mean, now that I've had depression or anxiety or intrusive thoughts, um, once in this sort of episode, do I need to be on medicine for the rest of my life? And the answer to that is usually no. Um, and that's the comparison I always make too, but it's not like taking antibiotics for 10 days and you're better. And then you're off the med and things are fine. Um, what we usually tell people, because this is what the studies tell us works the best, is that staying on medications for like nine to 12 months, once you feel better, is the usual recommendation. Um, and not that there's any magic in that, but the medications, you know, magically sort of flip a switch at the 10 and a half month mark or something. But what we know is that if people go off sooner than that, they're more likely to have their symptoms come back. Um, and so it's a pretty long stretch of medications, but for sure it's not a lifetime. Um, I think the interesting thing is a lot of people that I see will come in and they'll have hesitation about medications and then they'll start it and they'll feel better, not just from the medicine. I mean, I give credit to therapy and self-care and yoga and meditation and mindfulness and all these other things we can do, Um, but they find the medicine helpful. And then we get to that year mark and I say, you know, it's been a year. Do you feel like we're at a place where we want to start tapering off the medicine? Like, how's it going at this point? And many people will say, I kind of want to stay on it. It's really helped me so much. Um, and, and what people tell me um, about how it's helped them, because um, this is a question that comes up a lot, right? It's like, what does this medicine do? How do I know if it's helping? And what I tell people, and this kind of ties into our book title is, and if any of my patients ever listen to this, they're going to know, oh yeah, that is Dr. Rizgala because she always says that. Um, What we're looking for with the medications is that you come back after being on it for a couple of weeks and say, you know what? I feel like myself again. I feel like things are getting back to normal. I feel like I'm not so overwhelmed. I'm not so stressed. And if there's a stressful thing, I can manage it and deal with it. And I feel more resilient. Um, So that's what we see with these medications most of the time. But there are big hurdles to kind of starting them, especially something like risperidone. So yes, it came to the market as a medicine for schizophrenia. And if you're out there Googling and that's what you're finding, oh my goodness, that sounds scary. Does my doctor think I have schizophrenia? I've had people actually ask me, will it give me schizophrenia? Um, And I think you know, one valuable thing to know is that in psychiatry, we use all of our medications for about a million different things. And so even though they may come to the market as a schizophrenia medicine, um, you know, in the case of risperidone, we use it for depression. Sometimes we use it for OCD and intrusive thoughts. Um, We use it as a mood stabilizer and bipolar disorder. Um, So, so our medications have a whole range of uses too, which sometimes surprises people. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Especially for people that have never kind of been in like that mental health kind of realm before, like if this is their first time experiencing it, maybe never had family members. I have a family member who had, um, who is bipolar. And so I had a little touch of kind of what 
that is like trying to get on medication. I know so many moms that get frustrated because one's not working and you have to wait six weeks for this one to work. And then I have to switch because of this, that, and the other. And it is, you have, it's a, it's a process that I feel you have to be very, very patient with, you know, and when we're a new mom wanting to feel better, like tomorrow, a lot of times, you know, we don't have that patience because it's just, it's too much to navigate. Um, yeah. One of the things I want to talk about was, is like med management. I have always been, I've always told my mom and hopefully this is the right thing to tell them. You can tell me if it's not. <laughs> I've always told them, Hey, you know, be very mindful of your primary care physician or your OB prescribing you mental health medications. And I've told them that because from the experience that I've had with moms who have had doctors prescribe medication that were not actual psychiatrists was that there was no med management there, you know, and these moms would show to my support group going, yeah, I was on whatever for, I was on Prozac for a week. It made me worse. So I just stopped taking it. And I'm like, well, did you tell your doc? No, I didn't even call them. Can't even get another appointment. And, you know, I'm just not going to take it anymore. And I would hear that frustration over and over and over again. And so I would tell these moms and I know one psychiatrists are not cheap (laughs) and it's hard (laughs) to find ones that take health insurance. And I know all of that, but you know, the ones then that did decide to seek, you know, more of a, of a, 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 I don't want to say skilled physician, but just someone who's more into psychiatry, you know, pharmaceuticals, they had such a much better experience. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's a different experience because if you're a primary care doc, for example, um, you know, you know how to start treatment for depression. And for many people can do a fantastic job of that and managing it. But when it gets more complicated than step one or step two, then I think that's where we end up referring people to a psychiatrist and say for OB and midwives, like they can do a great job of getting somebody rolling on a medication, getting them referred, that kind of thing. And I think that the role for psychiatrists is when things are more complicated than sort of a basic, very um, mild symptoms, that kind of thing, or people have tried a lot of medications and need to, you know, look at other sort of, you know, less typically used options and things that we wouldn't necessarily go to right away. I mean, I will say in the system that I work in, we are blessed with especially some OBs and midwives who are just amazing. Like they know their stuff when it comes to mental health. And I think that's a change in the field too, you know, kind of getting back to this initial thing um, since I've been working in it is that people are more providers are more aware of what needs to happen and how people need to be treated. And, you know, as you're well aware, ACOG is now recommending universal screening for postpartum depression and those kinds of things. And so I think people can do a good job of getting people started on medications, but there does need to be that follow-up, right? Like we can't just say like, here's some Prozac, go have fun and see me in a year and we'll see if we'll take you off the medicine. And I, you know, it doesn't work that way. We definitely need to follow up. We need to check in with people. I think that's a tall order nowadays because just getting appointments with anyone is so hard, much less issues of insurance and costs and all that other stuff that, you know, can just be a barrier to care. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. I I cringe at the thought of knowing I have to call my insurance company for anything really. I have found the (laughs) online platforms to be actually extremely helpful. Um, but it is really hard to get somebody on the phone. And when you're someone, especially mom, who's, 
you know, in the depths of the darkness, the last yeah. thing they want to do is try to call, you know, to try to find somebody and, and whatnot. I know in your system, cause I think, um, Dr. Moran was talking about it, but, um, you have like care coordinators that, you know, can make those phone calls and, yeah. and whatnot. Yeah. You guys have a great system out there. That's the system that has to be replicated all over the country. <laughs> it really it's is. So good. Yeah. I mean, it really is because it gets people screened, right? Like we really don't want anybody to fall through the cracks. So they're getting screened at pediatrician, well, child appointments, they're getting screened during pregnancy. They're getting screened after pregnancy at their postpartum follow-ups. Screening is not useful unless you have something you can do with these results, right? If right. somebody screens positive for postpartum depression and you can't help them or refer them to the care that they need, it doesn't really do you any good to screen, right? right. Um, and so, yeah, the system that, that really Gabe gets the credit for building is that if people score high on their screening, they get connected with this care coordinator who then calls them and figures out do they need a psychiatrist or a therapist or just a yoga class or a support group or, you know, any number of things to kind of get them feeling better? Yeah. So let's, so let's transition into the book. Um, I love yeah. the title. Um, I know I have a review copy coming, but I should have had it <laughs> sent here to my vacation. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm not, but it'll give me something to uh, look forward to when I get home. Um, so I, she had shared the story about uh, how you guys were just I, in the elevator, I think, after yeah. a centering pregnancy uh, little chat and was like, we need to put this in a book so we can you know, reach more people. And then the title myself again, you know, hearing all these moms say, I just don't feel like myself. And I used to hear that all the time with the support groups, it really was the umbrella phrase that every mom used that I just, I don't feel like myself, something is off. Um, Share, what are you most excited about, about with this book that's coming out? Like, what are you hoping this book does? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think we're hoping that this book, first of all, continues to open up the conversation, right? And normalize some of these experiences, which are not rare. I mean, this happens a lot. Um, and in doing so also gives people the option to get better and to get well and to not feel like they just have to be sort of ashamed or guilty about feeling this way and just have to white knuckle it through and that's gonna be good enough and that's all there is to do. Um, and to know that there are things that they can do personally and ways to get support and ways to just be healthy and take care of themselves and that there are specific you know treatments from a professional too whether that's therapy or medications that can be enormously helpful and really turn around the course of this thing um so like for example we talk about intrusive thoughts in one of the chapters um which i think is something that is still out there as a little bit taboo a little bit hard to talk about for people um, and what happens is that people just have these ideas pop into their head of harming the baby, either themselves or some other harm coming to the baby or an accident, but it's this scary sort of horrible experience. And it's so common. Um, there's a study out there that says people who have postpartum anxiety, which again is 25% of new moms, that up to 90% of them are having these thoughts, right? So this is like, whatever that math is. You're right? Right. Yeah, don't 20, ask me, but it's a lot. Five percent of moms <laughs> are having these thoughts. And, and so many times, you know, when Gabe or other therapists or I or other psychiatrists see these people and can just say, hey, you know what? These are super common. 
you're not going to do anything. We're not worried about the baby's safety. Um, and we can get you to a point where they're happening less and they're not so bothersome and they're not so scary. That's really valuable for people. It's so valuable. I almost think it needs to be, you know, and you, you, you had touched on um, gestational diabetes and all of those things that are actually not as common, but yeah. are always brought up at your appointments um, to even, I mean, to have it so standard to say, there's a good chance that you're going to have intrusive thoughts and hear what they, and this is what they are. And because who I remember when I had my, and I had never heard of anything like that before. Um, but you, I really do feel like you're going crazy. And then I remember I found postpartum progress online. Um, and and then I had a name for it and I couldn't believe it. And I was like, Oh my gosh, all these other people are like, Oh my gosh, you had the same intrusive thought as I, it's like the exact same thought. Like, how is that even possible? You know? Um, and I would equally get frustrated to say, why couldn't my intrusive thoughts be rainbows and unicorns? Like, why does it (laughs) have to be be this? (laughs) Why can't it just be something a little more positive and colorful? Um, but yeah, I mean, it's so, it's so incredibly frustrating and, and, and they're so debilitating and, and, you know, and this is just my opinion, but I don't think I'd be sitting here having this conversation with you if it wasn't for medication. I mean, there is no doubt in my mind that, I mean, I remember being on, um, my respirator for three days. And I remember the exact moment where I didn't have the intrusive thought for at least a half hour because they were happening like every minute or two. And then you remember, I remember looking at my husband. I remember exactly where we were in the shopping mall in our, in our town, like exactly what I just know exactly. where. (laughs) And I said, Oh my gosh, I haven't had like any scary thoughts for like 30 minutes. And it was such a relief. It was just like, oh my (laughs) gosh. Like I, you know, for those 30 minutes, like I didn't think about anything scary and it was just, (laughs) oh my gosh. Yeah. That, I mean, it saved my life. I mean, those are, I mean, and, and dealing with it, with those is so exhausting. I mean, ugh, when your brain doesn't have the capacity to think about anything else, but these horrible thoughts, it's exhausting. Yeah. And trying to sort of muster up the energy to live your life around that. Yeah. Um, is, yes. Exhausting is the word for it. Yeah. For sure. I mean, you can't function and, or do anything else. And um, it's so funny because your co-author, um, <laughs> she said, she, she blew my mind a couple of times during the interview. And I actually knocked my microphone off my desk, <laughs> which I'd never <laughs> done before during an interview. And um just saying that, you know, when you're, when you're pregnant and postpartum, your critical thinking skills really go out the window. Like, cause so much, so many of us go into, I mean, I'm a type A personality. I, everything is in line. My house is, is clean and tidy. Like I, you know, I, I plan, like I got this, like, uh, this, like everything's planned out, you know, I, I, you know, meal trains or whatever the heck else, like it's, we're good. Like everything's good. And then, you know, you get either intrusive thoughts or you get just anxiety or depression and you can't, you can't wrap your head around the things that used to be so simple. Yeah. You just can't do that anymore. I remember unloading the dishwasher was like, like having to train for a marathon. It was like, I can't do, like, I can't even do this. And it's like, this is so not me. Like I, this is not me. I don't feel like myself. I should be able to do these things and not feel so overwhelmed by them. Yeah. And just have that cognitive capacity, just derailed, you know, you're going along and doing your thing and then off the tracks. Yeah. It's so, 
Yeah. And what a time for that to happen. You know, when you're bringing a new baby in the world and you want to do everything you, you had all these expectations of just how wonderful you were going to be. And then when these things happen, you think, oh my gosh, was I, you know, was I even, should I have done this? Am am I a bad mom? You know, because so many of us think that way. And, And it's funny because I do think that it's becoming more mainstream as far as talking about postpartum depression and talking about these things that can happen during pregnancy and whatnot. I do agree that intrusive thoughts are still, I think, very stigmatized and not, and very confusing for people to understand, um, and getting that kind of mixed with postpartum psychosis. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I just, it's just that guilt that mommy guilt is just, it's heavy. It's really, it is, it really is. Um, it's a tough place to be. And yeah, I, I think I don't understand like what was the evolutionary pressure that made moms just kind of get cognitively derailed and just so off track postpartum, which is a time when like, we would be great if we could be super sharp and on top of everything. Um, but this doesn't, and we know that, you know, depression and anxiety affect cognitive functioning for sure. There's for sure changes in the brain after birth for moms. I mean, gray matter sort of, you know, in some areas gets less in some areas gets more. Um, And so it's a real thing um, that we call mommy brain, you know? (laughs) Oh, yes. (laughs) Yes, we do. That's for sure. Um, So the book is coming out November 17th. Do I have that correct? Yeah. Okay. I'm so excited for you guys. I can't wait to read it and... And, uh, you know, make sure that, you know, and I think I was talking to, 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 to Gabe about this too, was this would be like the perfect, like baby shower gift, like stick it in a basket with some cute onesies. That's great. But the book to be front and center, just something to read and just understand that these things, you know, might happen. So Yes. Well, I appreciate your time so yes. much. Thank you. Uh, for thank you for me. sharing. Um, and I'm sure because I already talked to Gabe about having her back on for another episode. So my guess is maybe I have both of you on and we can have That'd a conversation. The three of us would be so fun. So yeah. uh, Dr. Wurzgala, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me.